chance to explore the connections between the way we live, the beliefs we hold and the world we're in. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast with Brian McLaren who discusses with Ian Mobsby the future of church and mission to post-secular culture. This podcast was recorded in a busy cafe in central London in June 2010. So Brian, what do you uh, see happening with new forms of ecclesial communities in the United States, particularly with the demise of emergence. <laughs> well, you, you know, first, I, I always get a kick out of this when people talk about the demise of emergent. I, I uh, because I just, I, I see everything just rolling along beautifully. But anyway, uh, I think um, what I would say is there is a, a, a little green tip of uh, creativity on just about every branch that I ever look at. Um, for example, I, I see in the mainline Protestant churches wonderful examples of, uh, uh, of some fresh things happening, both in people's existing churches, existing services, adding little, uh, you know, adding some elements to their services or, uh, or adding new services or starting new congregations. Then in um, evangelical churches, I, I think, you know, our, our evangelical world is highly conflicted and very uh, fragmented, I think. But I think there's a younger generation that's growing up that just doesn't want to be part of some of the old stuff. And so some fresh things are happening there. Um, One of our real, uh, I think one of the real important areas in the U.S. is the American Catholic community. And I think think the progressive end of the Catholic community uh, are are really going to play a key role in what happens in, in the next 10 years. Because as this sort of institutional um, diocesan part of the church in some ways tightens up in similar ways to the evangelical church here, it, it pushes the more progressive people into more, uh, more of a sense that if they don't do something, nothing's going to happen. And, okay. and I, I expect there will be some more creativity happening there. So I would say it's a mixed bag. Some places you see constriction, some places you see uh, continuing creativity. How is it kind of working out with the Episcopal Church in the United States? Is that, is, well, I'm, I'm aware that one of your books was quite complimentary about Anglicanism. Um, yeah. I don't, don't know what you feel about that, that now. Oh, well, I, I would say uh, I, I am very, very hopeful about, uh, about Anglicanism uh, in general, and especially here in the U.S. I, I think the Episcopal Church has you know taken some difficult stands some people consider them uh uncharitable others consider them extremely courageous i i i personally think that the stands that have been taken about sexuality are 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 positive i think that in some ways the episcopal church is paying a price but there are a couple of things i think the the fact that the anglican tradition draws from the celtic tradition it, in a sense it has a tradition that i think offers an awful lot to us as we move forward. I think, I, I personally believe that the way forward for most of us is going to involve a rediscovery of liturgy. Uh, liturgy not as a, a set of, uh, of rules, but as, uh, uh, as I, I like how it's defined sometimes as organized mysticism. Yes. Uh, and I, I think the churches that have more space for theological uh, reflection as opposed to, you know, a very rigid, narrow space, I think those 
those churches will make a lot more room for the next couple of generations. And there's another question I have that relates that in between. Is that I'm, I'm aware in this country what you had was a, a kind of a growth coming from de-church people which started with alternative worship that grew into an, a, a kind of a British emerging church. And we now see that kind of flowering in lots of different ways. And one of those streams being new monasticism, yeah. um, engaging with, it's not engaging with, with de-church people, but very much engaging with the new cohort of spiritual seekers, which seems to be... Yeah an exponential growth area is is that the area that is that happening in the states just as much as it's happening in the uk well first of all the new monasticism really is uh, uh has a a very very important role to play in all this and and um and it's very strong here um but i i wouldn't in my experience this thus far it's not primarily connecting with the uh the the spiritual but not religious i, I think you guys are farther ahead uh, than us on on moving th through the uh, de-churched people. I mean, you you might be twenty years ahead of us in that. You know, yeah. we, we I think we are at the beginning of our big exodus from traditional church. Uh, I I think um, I, I think that is a story that is just beginning to be told here, and. Um, this, to me, is one of the tragedies. I think there are so many young evangelicals and young Roman Catholics especially who don't see any vital option to the kind of rigid and constricted ecclesiology and theology that they've inherited. And as a result, um, a lot of them are just becoming sort of, they're, they're joining the ranks of the de-church and the spiritual but not religious. I believe, though, I really agree with you in that if we are willing to go far enough, we will be able to forge connections with the spiritual but not religious that I think could be historic and transform transformational. I, I sometimes think, what if it's not that the spiritual but religious, have? To, it's not that they have to be reached by those of us who have it together. What if they have already migrated to a place where they have a lot to teach the rest of us? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and my sense is that's what you're beginning to see happen uh, to a degree there, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think groups like Moot are very focused now on on learning from things like twelve-step groups. Yeah. In terms of how you dig with that depth of spirituality, there's a book here that's been recently by a Benedictine monk that makes a connection between twelve-step groups and virtue spiritual practices. So, very, very, very interesting. Um, but that's yeah. the kind of route that Moot's going, and there's a number of now um, emerging churches that have become new monastic communities that are seeking on how do we almost draw on a friar model to engage with spiritual seekers through practice of hospitality with cafes and things like that so that's kind of where some of us seem to be going yeah what, what to me uh, that is extremely exciting um but, but i should also say it it, pr it it proposes a completely different economic model doesn't it yeah. because it, it it i don't think is going to at least not in the short run result in more uh, people in the pews on on Sunday mornings in Absolutely. traditional buildings and congregations, yeah. and and this uh, you know it's a, it's a different economic system. Yeah, great. And uh, so thinking about that in terms of what we're seeing is a change in how people are, are moving from religion to spirituality and the the demise of Christendom. What are your thoughts about the kind of continuing relationship with church and the kingdom of God? I'm, I'm aware that Phyllis Tickle. It's got a great idea, you know, the 500-year rule where the church recontextualizes yeah. um, from one epoch to another. 
Do you think that's what's going on now? What, what's going on in terms of the kingdom of God? Well, I, you bring up two things. One is sort of what's going on in the church. And, and I, think, I, I think whether the 500-year rule is, uh, you know, whether we want to stick with that or not, I, I do think we're at one of those epical shifts. I mean, it, it's, it's the shift between the old-fashioned post office and email. It's the shift between uh, the old-fashioned travel agency and booking online, the old-fashioned bank and online banking. You know, we're, it's, it's, we're seeing just a whole shift in how information is transmitted, how community is built, how, uh, how public opinion is formed, and, and it, the church has to be part of that. Um, so, uh, and I'm not saying we just follow either, but I'm saying we're players in that. And people like you and, and the people who listen to this podcast are, are all... Uh, you know, we're not just watching trends that happen. All of us are helping, sometimes unconsciously, to to create uh, the the future. Um, the theological issue of the relationship between the church and the kingdom of God to me is a really worthwhile question too. I don't know if you want to go into yeah, that go theologically, on, go on, go on. but but I I think one of the ecclesiological shifts that has to happen it has huge huge theological uh, underpinnings, and that's the question. Is this thing about the church in the end, it, or, or is this thing about the world in the end? You know, right. um, does does the world exist to provide raw materials that we can suck into the church for the well-being of the church, or does the church exist as an agent of God's healing for the world? My my sense is, and of course you could play it either way, and, and then add fine print to sort of fix it up, but. But my sense in the prophetic tradition of the scriptures that I think culminates in Jesus, um, you know, the creator's function, focus is creation. Um, and the creator has never abandoned creation. Even the creator's selection of the Jewish people for a special role wasn't to the exclusion of the rest of creation. It was for the benefit of the rest of creation. And I would say the same goes for the church. So I would rather talk about God's work of the kingdom as what God is doing in the world and talk about the church as trying to join God and be an agent of God. Now, you know, often it's, we're, we're frustrating that, but uh, that gives us a chance to get back to our calling. So do you think the language of um, building ecclesial communities out of contextual mission is the right focus there, because then it's because then it's focused on the world. Yeah, I, I do, and that's why you know even though this word missional uh, gets has been watered down so badly and ends up just meaning really serious or super evangelistic or whatever you know I I think the word missional is a great word because. Uh, it, of course, a lot of evangelicals don't know that it comes out of the World Council of Churches, and it comes in from some Catholic theologians. Yeah. But it, it comes to do, it, it comes from this sense that the sphere of God's mission is is the world, and God is loyal to the world, committed to the world, and um, and that uh, so God's mission is the mission of creation and the mission of healing creation and. Um, so, so I, and, and so when we think about communities that exist for mission rather than to fulfill a set of ecclesiological minimum standards, <laughs> uh, this to me really is a much healthier way to look at it. No, that's, that's brilliant. Brilliant. So thinking about the world and, that, and what we're seeing, because I think you are right that I think you know, the most post-secular cultures are in Australia and New Zealand, and it's something like 20 years behind in Europe, and then another 20 years behind in yeah. America and Canada. Um, 
what we're seeing here is this increasing post-secular spiritual seekers as the way things are going. And it almost feels like we're drawing on exploring pre-modern explorations of the church to think about what they look like in a post-secular context. So yeah. is that, I think that's kind of what resonates with Phyllis Tickle's work. Yes. Um, about the kind of forms of monasticism helping the church to recontextualize from one epoch to another. Um, is that happening in America? Um, well, I, what I'd say is uh, here in America, a, a big part of this a whole process involves young evangelicals who, uh, a big part of this uh, intentional community, uh, missional community, new monasticism, a lot of this involves young evangelicals who are committed to their faith, but know that just fitting into the slot in the, uh, uh, you know, in the pew in the typical, or, or in the comfortable chair of the typical evangelical church, it's, it's not going to work for them. And, um, and so they end up looking for a really high commitment place to, uh, to live and be involved. But if I could just say, this is another place where I think you all are farther ahead of us, because I, my personal belief is that, that although these new monastic communities have an incredibly important role, they aren't the answer for everybody. They, yeah. they contribute everybody. But one of our big challenges is creating spaces that we aren't ready for a really, really big commitment. Um, and, and, you know, this is where we can't throw out the, the baby with the bathwater when it comes to the old seeker movement. One of the brilliant things about the whole seeker movement was creating safe space for people who are not yet committed. And, and so if, if our only alternative to um, so, so sort of traditional ingrown uh, uh, congregations is these super high commitment missional communities, uh, you know, I, I, I think we're still missing something. And, okay. and that's the creation of this alternative space. By the way, that is another place where I think liturgy is important. Because I think the kind of liturgies that we need to create, I think that's one of the things that a liturgy does. Liturgy creates accessible space for people to come in and, and begin to experience. I think some of the groups here in terms of new monasticism don't make quite so many demands on you as like the Simple Way community in Shea Claiborne, which seems yeah. much more, uh, you know, a huge depth of commitment in that sort of thing. Yeah. So there's a kind of halfway house with new monasticism here that is much yep. more about maybe a more participative understanding of church, where yep. justice, but justice is part of what you do, but it's yes. also about befriending and hospitality and all that with people who don't relate to traditional forms of church. And, and that sort of thing is, is beginning to happen on this side of the pond, but some, and, and, and in fact, it, it probably is happening in a lot of different um, settings. Uh, I think a lot of it's happening through groups that would not call themselves, uh, groups that would think of themselves not as leaders and innovators, they would think of themselves as dropouts and losers, you know, yeah. um, it's sort of somewhat disaffected people who still have a little circle of friends. Um, and, and what happens is they very often go through a period where they're nursing their wounds from bad church experiences, but eventually they get tired of that and, and they move on and they're ready to make a difference. And one of the key shifts in mindset, in my opinion on this, is when people go into the world having been div having divested of the us-them mindset. So they, they aren't going into the world thinking, I'm saved, you're not. I'm in, you're out. They go into the world just thinking, I'm a mess, you're a mess, 
I want to do what I can. You want to do what you can. I'm trying to be in touch with God. I'm assuming you are too. And what those kinds of people do is they really create a very safe space for folks. You know, uh, uh, well, there's a lot more we can say about that. But uh, uh, this this idea uh, that we just are generous by creating space for people to to connect with us and connect with God, I, I think is is really at the core. And do you think there's something of the contemplative tradition coming in here quite strongly? Oh, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. You know, my, I, I love what my friend um, Richard Rohr I, I said a, a while back. Um, Richard said, w when you're in the presence of a true saint, you, aren't, you don't have to walk on eggshells. Yeah. Uh, when you're in the presence of a true saint, you, you just feel loved and accepted for who you are. You don't have any of this feeling like you're being judged, you know. Um, and and the, the, there's a kind of contemplative spirituality that's in the that's interested in producing that kind of saintliness, and I just don't think we can go forward without that kind of that those virtues of of humility and acceptance and 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 uh, well l let me just use that word saintliness you know yeah that's that's lovely so thinking about that then do, what what do you think are the major challenges facing facing Christians in the 21st century. Well, I mean, I, I think w w one of the, well, I mean, first, the, the really big ones are the ones that face human beings in the 21st century. Are we going to get off an oil-based economy? Um, are we going to create a sustainable way of life that's less destructive, to, that's not only less destructive, that, but that becomes restorative to the environment? Are we going to find a way for people of different religions to get along uh, and, and maintain strong religious commitment, but a religious commitment that sends us toward one another as neighbors rather than against one another with bombs and guns? Uh, are we going to deal with the, the, this growing gap between the rich minority and the poor majority? I mean, those are the issues that every one of us wakes up with and goes to bed with, whether we're in denial about them or not, and whether we're hoping to get whisked away, you know, to heaven before the worst <laughs> of it comes. Um, yeah. Those are the real problems. And in my opinion, if our spirituality doesn't equip us to deal with those problems, then uh, who cares? You know, it, it, it just isn't, doesn't matter. Now, if, uh, if I were to bring that one level down, uh, a couple of huge challenges that means for, for Christian communities one is that we have to find a way to have strong identity that's not an identity against, but it's an identity with. So, so that my identity as a committed Christian makes me a better neighbor to my neighbor who's Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist or atheist. That is a new kind of identity that we, we don't have a lot of practice in. Yeah. Uh, we know how to have a weak identity and get along with our friend of other religions, but... But we need this different kind of strong identity. Um, another one is we have huge work to do in the realm of spiritual formation in the development of that kind of contemplative saintliness that, that I was mentioning before. And a grossly underrated problem is we have to talk about how to induct new generations, children and youth, into that kind of spirituality. My fear is what people like you and me have been doing a lot of. We've been working with young adults and adults. Meanwhile, we go buy the same old curriculum off the shelf in our kids' programs at our churches. And, you know, sooner or later, we've got to really rethink our entire process of spiritual formation from, from birth to, uh, to death. You know, it, it really is a lifelong process. Um, I, I think we, we have um, – so those would be two big areas. And then I think we have to, we have to get comfortable with what um, 
Rowan Williams calls uh, a mixed economy approach to church, where we can say we've got the cathedral, we've got the megachurch, we've got the local congregation, we've got these new different kinds of missional communities, new monastic communities, we've got these little groups that don't know what to call themselves, uh, we've got people connected on the internet, and somehow we have to get comfortable with this kind of mixed economy Christian faith. So those would be a few of the challenges, I think. And if we get bored with those challenges, I'm sure we'll come up with some more. <laughs> I'll mention one more. I mean, we've got, we've got a huge challenge, set of challenges facing us with sexuality. Because uh, obviously we've got all the issues of, of uh, LGBT um, issues. But I think we have a 10 times, uh, we have e equally big issues and maybe even bigger just dealing with the realities of, of sex outside of marriage. And, you know, for the people who think that we're going to get back to the 1950s or something, it, you know, I mean, it, it, the question, we're not going back to the 1950s. So the question is, when are we going to realize that we're not going back to the 1950s? And how are we going to deal with that? That creates real a whole set of uh, big challenges that I don't, I don't even know many people among sort of emerging church leaders who are willing to talk very frankly about some of these issues. Yeah. Well, that kind of leads on to the, the question I wanted to ask you. It seems to me that we have a real problem in the world retreating into a, a form of church um, with a small C conservative uh, mentality, often because there's so much fear about, you know, that we live in uh, a world of global um, tragedy we're, and we're actually seeing a new movement of fundamentalism arising out of some of the tensions as people seek simpler solutions to living in a complex world. Um, and I find it deeply worrying what's happening all around the world where, where some Christian churches seem to be becoming incredibly hard on people's humanity. And I just think that that might be the, one of the major challenges to effective mission for Christians is the very church itself becoming incredibly hard-lined. Um, have you thoughts on, on that? Well, for, first, I'd, could you just, I'd, I'm just curious, I'd love to hear more, uh, uh, some examples of what you mean by becoming hard on people's humanity, because I, I, that, uh, that strikes me as being a, a pretty powerful way to say it. Well, I'm aware that in, in, in Africa now that there's, um, it is increasingly challenging in terms of how the church relates to people who are gay. Um, I'm aware that um, the church is struggling to relate to people who want to express a different way of living um, to maybe some of the traditional forms of understanding the, uh, the nuclear family. Um, and that the church increasingly is is. Uh, trying to define who's in and who's out of who can be an authentic Christian. Um, and therefore, yeah. we're really struggling with new questions which many parts of the church don't know how to approach because yeah. they don't have a very deep theology to understand what the nature of what, how would Christ relate to this. And yeah. actually, what we see in many parts of the world is a, is a, is a return to patriarchy and, and, and um, power forms of church and leadership yeah. rather than a powerlessness and a generous orthodoxy, to quote your book. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I, uh, first, yeah, I totally agree with you. The, the, those are serious problems. The, the, the question is, how are we, how, uh, 
you know, some people define the problem as people like you and me who won't get on board <laughs> um, with the return to the way things should be. Um, but how do people like us, uh, how do we deal with, with this, this uh, return to fundamentalism uh, or resurgence of fundamentalism? Um, you know, I, I wrote this book this year called, or it came out this year called New Kind of Christianity. And at the end of the book, I talk about, I, I adopt, uh, uh, adapt uh, a schema that comes from people like Claire Graves and Ken Wilber and a bunch of others have developed schemas like this. And, and these are, are a lot, have a lot in common with the work of Ken Fowler and a whole, whole lot of other people who've paid attention to human development, faith development, and so on. And And one of the ways that those schemas are very helpful uh, to me, is instead of putting the world into two categories, the fundamentalists and the liberals, or the fundamentalists and the non-fundamentalists, it helps us realize, you know, really, you could talk about seven different kinds of, of orientations, you know, seven different ways that people posture themselves in the world, or, or five or ten or whatever it is. And, and thinking about these as stages of development and thinking about people as inhabiting different stages and they can never get to the next stage until they finish the work of their current stage. That gives me a lot more compassion. It really helps me uh, and it helps me not react in un unhelpful ways yeah. because w one of the problems is if we get it and, and you know I try not to get into this but man I, I get sucked into it myself um, w where uh, the more conservative folks behave in very predictable ways and then I find myself dancing in the dance in very predictable ways. And what my reactions just reinforce their reactions, you know. And somehow, I think some of us have to find ways to uh, help move forward and, and, and keep the process going. Uh, and uh, those, those responses are very often uh, counterintuitive. And, and sometimes they look like a big mistake in the beginning. But I, I think uh, we all have to do some more thinking about that. Um, if I could just give one, uh, maybe one specific example. Very often, people make progress on an issue when, not because they resolve it, but because a new issue comes up and they're willing to give up ground on the old issue in order to fight <laughs> about the new issue. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, there are an awful lot of people who would fight to the death if you want to talk to them about young earth creationism. You know, I know that's less a big deal in the UK than it is here, but we keep exporting it over there, I know. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, suddenly they start fighting battles of sexuality and they're willing to be a little softer on young earth creationism. You know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, all that's to say that I, I just don't think you can rush people through this process. It, it's 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 part of life, and it requires us all to have a lot of First Corinthians thirteen type of virtue and love. I'm struck um, in this conversation that something of um, what that contemplative spirituality brings is that kind of non-dualistic thinking, this need yeah. to make things black and white, and there's something about us at this time learning, relearning about a Christ who refused to stand in certain camps unless it's actually to stand by those who are excluded and poor and marginalized. So yeah. I'm, I'm struck by Richard Rohr's approach that, you know, maybe the future of the church has to be tied up into us getting much more into this non-dualistic thinking and yeah. actually learning to love one another and being able to be part of the same church even when we don't agree. 
And this, this in many ways, uh, it, it becomes a, a fascinating way to reframe the issue. Um, I, you, you may have seen this, but on, uh, in the TED Talks that you can watch on the Internet, those you know 20-minute talks, there's a talk by a guy named Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T, called The Real Difference Between Liberals and Conservatives. And he talks about um, five lines of moral reasoning. Um, first is justice. Second is compassion. Third is tradition. Fourth is purity. And fifth is in-group loyalty. And, and what he, he says is that, quote, liberals um, only argue based on justice and compassion. In fact, they might even have a hidden suspicion that in-group loyalty, tradition, and purity are immoral. Um, so that it's actually not moral to argue based on those things. Conservatives argue on all five lines of reasoning. And so when they encounter someone only arguing on two lines, they seem inherently less moral. And, and um, one of the things that I think w we have to do is if we find ourselves people who are primarily motivated by justice and compassion, we have to find ways to make our arguments that bring in the lines of tradition, loyalty, and uh, and purity and and I think it, 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 what, as soon as I saw that TED talk, it just made me think of passages in the Gospels. For example, where Jesus doesn't throw out purity as an issue, he redefines it. It's not what goes into a person that defiles a person; it's what comes out of a person. You know, he he didn't throw out purity; he redefined it. And I think this is one of our challenges at this time. Uh, and, and so, when we come to this issue of non-dual thinking. Um, you can bet that that conservatives that, that you know conservatively minded people are going to phrase this as new age and all the rest. What we have to do is we have to help people see this isn't new age. This is ancient wisdom. You know, this isn't new age. This is the contemplative tradition. This is very old. This goes back in our tradition, and we have to to make the case for this that this is a a a, a, a traditional way. We're being loyal to our ancestors, our great saints and our heritage, and that this is a kind of spiritual purity that we have to uh, pursue. Anyway, th that, that to me it becomes a useful way to, uh, to see ourselves in the middle of these sometimes conflicted change processes. Yeah, so I just think that's really helpful stuff. Thank you so much uh, for your time. Um, you're an inspiration. I, I love those, those final thoughts, I think, are extremely important. Um, so I go away and meditate on what you said. So I just want to give you an opportunity if there's any final things you wanted to say. Well, just to say thanks for all the good um, you're doing there. You know, I, I think, um, I really do think the cross-pollination between, as you said, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, uh, the UK and Europe and North America, and then with Africa and Latin America, this international cross-pollination is incredibly important. And just to give you one quick encouraging little anecdote, I was just in um, in East Africa. I was in Kenya and then Burundi. And, um, you know, Burundi is like the third poorest country in the world. And in the capital city, Bujumbura, I, I couldn't believe that I was meeting with young Christian leaders there who are, you know, have never heard of anything like emergent, emerging church, fresh expressions, new, um, you know, uh, alternative worship. They've never heard any of these terms. But one guy was telling me he knows of 20 different groups in the capital city of people who are from Pentecostal churches who've become disillusioned, who have sort of dropped out, 
but who have, are forming these little groups that are, are they're trying to save their faith with a group of friends. And I just think here it is, it's happening all over the place in all of these different ways. And, and we, we've all got a lot to learn from each other and a lot to offer each other too. Brian McLaren, thank you so much. That, that's been great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Moot Community Podcast. If you'd like more information on who we are and what we do, please visit www.moot.uk.net. In the next podcast, we will be interviewing Phyllis Tickle, exploring again the future of church and contemporary culture. Thank you.